Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Plus 3 Podcast of Nerdiness. I'm Evan. I'm Derek. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to bring you all things nerdy. So today we're going to be talking about a topic that is pretty dear to us. We're going to be talking about board games, and specifically the board game industry. We're going to dive into the state of the board game industry, where it's at here in 2020. Um, Some trends we're seeing, some good, some bad and talk about just all things related to that. So we are looking forward to diving into that. But before we do, we've got a bunch of news to go over, and we've got some updates as well. So, Ryan, why don't you start us off with the updates? Sure. I don't have a ton of updates. I had some family things come up, and that's kind of why we had to delay the podcast um, coming out. So sorry about that. Uh, but I did make, in the meantime, Pirate Legend status in Sea of Thieves. So... Yay. For that. Yay. It, I know it took so long, but I made it. I haven't done anything with it yet, so I have no idea what this is going to entail. So I'm excited to find out what that is. Um, last weekend and this weekend, we played some Pandemic again with some friends. So hopefully, might be getting on that season one train finally. Yeah, so, do it. Yeah, we lost this path just yesterday when we played. So that was... Uh, mm. That That's was okay. uh, disappointing for everyone else involved. But well, you got to get used real. to losing. Yeah, you gotta, yeah definitely. And, and pandemic legacy. So, um, and then my last update I have is we, uh, Bree and I started watching The Outsider. Uh, it's a show on HBO. It's adapted from a Stephen King novel. So, I mean, that's kind of what you can expect to find in the show if you watch it, and it is excellent. Um, it's an investigation to what seems to be some unrelated murders and things happening. And it doesn't take place in Maine, which a lot of Stephen King books do. Uh, It takes place in Georgia, just a little fun fact. Um, But it's kind of a supernaturally kind of thing. And I just think supernatural shows and things that deal with that are very interesting. And no, if anyone asks, I have not watched the show Supernatural. I don't know what, I, I don't know why I haven't yet, but I just haven't. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Uh, Derek, what have you been up to? We got to finally pull a game off of my shelf of shame. <gasps> and yeah, I know. We played Fantastic Factories, which was a Kickstarter that I had backed a while ago. And um, it was super fun. This is kind of a nice gateway game for engine building and dice placement which are two of my favorite uh, mechanics in board games. So every turn you are rolling your dice and placing them on different spots on your board. You have a pretty small board. There's, there's two different resources, which are electricity and coal. And so you will place your dice to gather resources and build more cards. Every turn you are rolling four dice. And if you... Uh, roll a one through a three, you can place them on the electricity and you total the dice value for how many um, units of electricity you get. And then if you roll a four through a six, you can place them on coal, which will give you one coal. So coal is a lot harder to get. Also, if you place doubles or triples on a specific resource, you get bonus 
bonuses of those resources. So it's it was kind of nice. And then you're you start building your little factories that all have different abilities and chain off of each other, and you build your engine. And it was a lot of fun. Sid really liked it. It went right down to the wire. Uh, she ended up winning on a tiebreaker. And so, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and she wants to get that one back out. So we will definitely do that. And that was kind of her first her first engine builder. Like, I have Gizmos, but she's never played it. I have mm-hmm. Wingspan, but she's never played it. Uh, so we, we'll play this a couple more times, and then we'll probably move on to maybe a little more complex games. But it's definitely a nice intro to engine building. And I could, I could see it being really good for families too. Would you, would you say it's like a little lighter than gizmos or about the same? A little lighter than gizmos. Okay, cool. But it has, it's just different than gizmos too. Yeah. Cause you have the dice, the dice um, placement. So sure. a lot of your factories will have dice manipulation abilities to them. Hmm. So like, oh, okay, cool. Pay an electricity and you can increase a dice, a die value hmm. by one or something like that. Yeah. I like um, that. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It reminded me like of a an easier version of um, Alien Frontiers, but then okay. you throw building in there as well. Gotcha. Yeah, hmm. it was good. So that was Fantastic Factories, and that one is out at retail now. So check it out. Uh, next, I finished the Dark Age by Pierce Brown, which is the fifth and latest entry in the Red Rising saga. I really, really liked it. It's probably one of my favorites in the whole series. He, Whoa. yeah, he switched to following like multiple character perspectives in book four, and I was not a fan of it at all. <laughs> I remember but you talking about. I, that. I was not a fan, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. Maybe it was the combination of that, and like I felt the story in book four was weaker than in book five, and so it really, it really worked for me. Um, Dark Age really worked. Uh, I. I think she got to explore or he got to explore a lot more characters with this new switch rather than just following Darrow, who is the main character through. And I think you see a lot more sides of the whole like war Mm -hmm. and the struggle and everything. And and I liked that. So dark age was really good. So do you think maybe like, I just out of curiosity, Mm -hmm. uh, do you think like in the, the first time he switched to multiple perspectives, it was like hard for him to keep it, like the story tighter, like he he tried to focus like, or make it too broad and it was hard to kind of keep it engaging. I think so. And then I think he also like, he jumped right into the middle of a character's story without properly introducing that character. And now like all those characters, you know more about them. And so maybe that's why I liked it more. And and it's established. Yeah. 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 It was just a very, it was a really abrupt switch in my opinion sure. to go from and, and that's fine if you want to go from you know one character perspective to multiple but it would just it was abrupt for me and i yeah. i liked book five way more than book four but don't get me wrong i still enjoyed book four um i highly recommend the red rising saga to anybody i know evan's read the first one mm-hmm. ryan have you read the first three or I have just you just read the first one? Oh, i thought you had read the, the I, trilogy uh i think well, Bree, I'm pretty sure has read the whole thing. I guess I don't know if she's read Dark Age or not. I'm sure she she'll listen not. to this and she correct me. Okay, well, she hasn't, so Derek corrected me already. So now Bree will correct me, so I'll get corrected twice. That'll be great, but that's, <laughs> you know, neither here nor there. So <laughs> She might have read part of it, but I, I feel like... She I, I used to say, I know she's read the fourth one. I don't know if she's read yeah. Dark Age. And I don't know if that's one of yours or if we have that sitting on our shelf, too. You have I, it. You have we it. do? Okay, we'll yeah. see. There you go. <laughs> 
Derek knows more about my yep. life than I do. Yep, yep, I do. No, but it was good. I recommend it. Um, and then so after that, I have now started reading The Path of Daggers, which and Ryan's shaking his you head. You did no. not tell me about this I, because I, I would have told you not to. I know. But here's okay, so I started reading nope. the Path of Path of Daggers. I'm not which on is, board. Which is book eight in the Wheel of Time saga by Robert Jordan. So this I've talked about this series before. Uh, Wheel of Time is kind of regarded as one of the best fantasy series of all time. And it has it has a differing opinions. People are split on it because some people think it's too boring. Some people think it whatever. All right. So books six and seven were not good. And I stopped after book seven. And then I've heard book eight is meh, but I am digging it so far. I'm already a quarter of the way through the book. So Ryan didn't even know I was reading it. No, because you, uh, you, I'm, I promise that I would always discourage you from, I know that's why I didn't tell you. I support you, Derek. You read like 2,500 pages and said that you hated it. Why would you you do that to yourself? (laughs) I have, the first five books I absolutely loved and then six and seven, I did not, but now I'm, I'm enjoying eight so far. So, uh, if I keep flying through it, like, you know, the way I am, uh, I, I've heard it only gets better from this point. So nine through, I think there's 14 books. Well, I still so. have book one sitting on my shelf. Well, give if it I, a read, if I get through one through five, I'm just going to have you give me a, yeah. a too there long, didn't read yep. on six just, and seven, and then I'll pick just, it probably eight too, and then I'll pick up at nine. Yeah, just wiki the synopsis. Yeah, we hop in. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, so I will keep everybody updated on to whether I keep <laughs> flying through it or whether it turns into a slog. Uh, but yeah, so that was Path of Daggers uh, by Robert Jordan. And then finally, well, not finally, I guess. So I uh, I played some Pokemon Sword. So that was a lot of fun. My problem with Pokemon Sword is it's such a good game, but I keep getting lost in the wild area and then <laughs> just catching. No, not, not lost, but like I keep getting distracted. I'm like, yeah. oh, there's a new Pokemon. Let's go get it. And I have not progressed the story like at, at all really at all or i'll just go around doing dynamax raids and trying to catch new stuff and yeah i'm it's gonna take me forever to beat this game but i'm having a great time doing it it's all so, that matters yeah yeah just catching pokemon and now finally i finished reading um uncanny x-men which i really enjoyed uh, i got i kind of gave you two the synopsis of uncanny x-men but it, it was a wild ride i ah, man it was it was good. I didn't really love the ending. They kind of just like, okay, everybody's here again type thing. But eh. um, the the journey to get there was definitely worth it. Um, so Marvel Unlimited has really um, come to the forefront for me again. Uh, my renew my year renewal was up in January, and I was like, okay, if I'm gonna renew another year, I really need to read more comics, and I've I've done a pretty good job of that. I think I've been keeping track, and I've uh, I've read 25 uh, issues since my renewal. Oh my gosh! So I'm feeling pretty good about that, you yeah. know. And got your money's you think, worth already. Yeah, exactly. And I it's like five bucks a month, so or five or six bucks a month. So if you think about it, like a comic is four bucks anymore. Right. In yeah, person. you got your money. So. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm reading War of the Realms right now, which is a, a crossover event that they kind of did. I love crossover. I love a good crossover event. Uh, but basically, Mal- Malekith, uh, the Dark Elf, has uh, conquered nine of the ten realms. Um, so like Asgard, Niflheim, all that good stuff. And the only remaining realm is Midgard, 
which is Earth. And so he has brought all of like the ice giants and the the um <clears throat> you know all the evils, the dark elves and everything from all the nine realms down on Earth. And of course you've got Earth's defenders uh doing work. It's it's got all the big names in it. Um while Thor is like trapped in Niflheim and it's just it's a lot of fun. Um it's their big crossover event. So like it's only 10 issues, but also, there's all these tie-ins like telling different stories kind of, you know, with any big crossover, mm-hmm. like with civil war, there were all the tie-in issues. So I'm trying to mm-hmm. go through that. So many tie-ins and reading. And well, th- that's the nice thing about Marvel unlimited though, is like, it's all there, you know, and it tells me what mm-hmm. order to read them in. So I can go and do that. So that's been a lot of fun. I have convinced Evan to give it a try a little bit. He'll talk about that in his updates, but yeah, so that's that's what I've been up to, and now I will throw it to Evan to uh, give us his updates. All right. Well, my biggest thing is I've been playing quite a bit of Crisis Protocol still. I'm not sure how many games I've played since the last podcast, but it's been several. And the highlight there is that I've gotten to do the, the Ultron encounter, uh, All Will Be Metal, a couple times. So... I don't remember if I've talked about this on the pod or not. So a quick, quick overview is that uh, Atomic Mass Games put out a free online supplement uh, or like alternate game mode. It's a two, two versus one. So one person takes on the role of a super powerful Ultron. And then the two play crisis teams, which can be composed of basically any other heroes or villains. And uh, you can have 15 points, which is equates to about four to five characters um per person so you're running about nine nine heroes on the the opposing squad so it's like basically nine heroes versus ultron and there's um there's certain objectives like ultron has his doomsday device that are objective tokens on the map and he's trying to take control of those and he's using that to like destroy the city and stuff like that so anyway i i've gotten to play it a couple times i i enjoy it i think it's a fun alternate and i think it's really cool that atomic mass games put it out for free and it's great if you have an odd number of people because then you can have three people go off and do that. Uh, I will say I don't like it as much as the regular game mode. I would rather just play the regular mode if the option was presented because it. I've played it three times now. And the first time we were like, okay, let's kill Ultron because if you kill Ultron, like if you get him, if you if you kill him once or like take him to his maximum hit points, he basically just starts over and you put a little corrupted firmware token on him. And that can, it, <laughs> like in some that. ways, yeah, in some ways it makes him less powerful, but in some ways it makes him more powerful. So you have to daze him five times or get five of those tokens on it to win. Otherwise you're trying to get, oh my gosh, yeah. And he has like eight health. So it's like 40 health or something like that, which is quite a bit. Um, otherwise you're trying to get points through other objectives like rescuing civilians. So basically what I'm trying to say is the first time I played, like we went all in on Ultron and he just like, he just kept getting power cause we were attacking him. And that's a big mechanic of the game is as you take damage, you get power. And so he was just like, we would attack him and do a little bit of damage and then he would power up and just wreck us because he has so many good abilities. Um, so then the second time we played, I just like, I, I've only played on the crisis team. I've never played it as Ultron. And the second time I played, we just ran away and did the objectives and we won that way. And we didn't daze him one time. I don't think we attacked him one time. <laughs> and then when I played, so I played yesterday and I actually played for um, the the YouTube channel I did the game before. So uh, that, that video will be out later this week if you want to check it out. But anyway, um, we again basically didn't attack him. I think I attacked him with Thor one time. And other than that, we just were like using throws and pushes to put 
move him away. And it came down to the last turn, and we we had a win condition, but Ultron can move like three quarters of the map, so he moved all the way across the map and like did the one thing that would win him the game. So, um, spoilers for that video, but my team did lose at the very end. <laughs> so, anyway, long story short, it's a great game mode, uh, but I would just rather play the the normal. And I, I'm excited to see where they go with future like encounters like this. There's a Killmonger one coming out in a month, I believe. So. We'll see how that goes. Um, I also Guard, got... Guardians are dropping soon too, right? So I can't wait to see what they do with that. I'd love to see a Guardians mode. Yeah, well, Especially. they so they announced uh, Star Lord, and they've previously announced Groot and Rocket, uh, Drax and Ronan, and Gamora and Nebula as packs. So next month, Star Lord's coming out, and I think Groot and Rocket, or maybe Drax and Ronan. I'm not sure. Um, so I'm not sure I'm going to pick those up right away because I also picked up uh, Thor, Thor and Loki, or sorry, Thor and Valkyrie, Loki and Hela, and Vision and Winter Soldier. Those three packs of two each all came out last week, and they're forty bucks each, and I picked them all up. So I don't know my my Crisis Protocol budget might be short <laughs> for a while, but um, I did put all those together last week, and I'm working on painting them. I have I, Thor has really been fun to paint the the. Um, poses for these are really cool so if you get a chance you should look those up they're they're pretty neat but um we'll probably i'll have to send those pictures to derek when i'm done too and we can post them on instagram but uh it might be a little bit (laughs) so that's been my crisis protocol playing still enjoying it having a good time um i i mentioned the uh colors of paris last podcast i got to play that again this time we played with four, which was kind of interesting because there are more spots open up, and then you kind of have to think a little bit more about the rotating um, mechanic that goes into the worker placement part of it. But uh, I had a good time with that. But what was really exciting is that same group, which is uh, me, my wife, and another couple, The they bought Everdell, which I know we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast, mm-hmm. and I haven't ever gotten a chance to play it yet because I just haven't been able to uh, meet up with Derek to, and Ryan to play it. But um so now friends down here have it and I got to play. We actually played it twice and I really like it. I, I don't know if I love it as much as Derek does, but I do think it's, it's really good. Um, and I am excited to play it again. So uh, I don't know if there's much more that needs to be said. We've, we've, do- uh, we've, we've talked about that one quite a bit in the past. So moving on, I, um, I binged better call Saul season four. I think I watched that. There's 10 episodes. I watched it in two or three days. Um, uh, that's the best show on TV right now. You can't tell me otherwise. It's it's so good. I think it's <laughs> this season was kind of weird too because it almost felt a little slow, but it was still just so good. Uh, and I don't know you. I think you have to watch Breaking Bad before you watch this to really appreciate how good it is because there's a lot of setup and a lot of it, you just wouldn't really quite understand exactly what's going on if you haven't watched Breaking Bad. But if you have then it's just like a perfect prequel. It it sets things up so well. So I highly recommend that to can anybody. I just, can I yes. just interject? I mean, you said it's the best show on TV, but have you watched Lego Masters? Because I haven't. That is a good time. I'm sure I mean, it I'm, is. Obviously, it, it has nothing, <laughs> it's not nothing to do with it But Lego Masters, everybody, check it out. It's a lot of fun, and Will Arnett is great. Yeah, I I have been meaning to watch that, but I just haven't. It's, it's fun. Is yeah. he talking his Lego Batman voice the whole oh, time? All the time. Not the whole time, but he does. But he, he does it frequently? Yeah. Okay, I probably am going to have to start recording it. Yeah. Well, and the Sorry. stuff they, they build is just so insane. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's crazy. But Can yeah. we get on that show? Is that possible? What do you have to do to oh, get? I on think the we show? would lose. We, we do. Not I don't have care. I just want to go build. I want to go build Legos on shows. And hey, I got I got second in a Lego building contest. Well, there you go. See, have I told you guys that story? No. <laughs> okay. Well, we're getting off topic, but I'm going to tell it really quick. I we're my family was in Boston for a trip. We went to like Legoland. They're having this 80s disco night thing, and they're having a a competition where you just they gave you a bunch of pieces and you had to put together something 80s themed. So my wife and I put together a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, which was clearly the best one there. It was. I mean, it wasn't even close. the The team that won had like they made the Berlin Wall coming down, which was in the 90s. First of all. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Am I right about that? Let's get but, our history. Yeah. No, I think it was 89. Was it? I thought it was 90. But either way. Uh, but they weren't there to claim the prize. So we actually still won the prize because we got second. So uh, I don't think I have the set up or put together right now. But we actually won a Lego set. So that was pretty cool. Nice. Anyway, that was way off topic. Moving on. Um, resume. We're going to get on the show. Yep. Uh, as Derek mentioned, I have been starting to read a few comics i started with infinity war like the one back in the 90s is that when that came out um so i'm really only like one issue into it i'm not very far but um I, it's good i'm liking it so far i'm i just gotta commit some time to actually reading it i always mean to do it at night and then i go to sleep instead <laughs> or I, i've been i've been working a lot too so that that doesn't help either but anyway uh hopefully i can get into that uh, I also kind of on a whim bought Tuscany, the expansion to Viticulture, and it was only 25 bucks on Amazon. And for some reason I was just like, I kind of want to buy this. So I did. And then I played it with my wife and she beat me because she always beats me when we play one-on-one Viticulture. And it was fun. We, there's three modules involved with the expansion. We played two out of the three. You can kind of mix and match however you want. Um, I'm not sure that I would really like the third one that we didn't play because it's it adds another deck of cards. And I know some people, that's their biggest complaint with Viticulture. It's so card dependent. So it even adds another level of that. But I'd like to try it sometime. The one that I really liked, the module I really liked was the um, the special workers. Make it really interesting. You can train workers that have different abilities. Like um, you can, there's a, I think it was the chef. I can't remember. It was one of the ones that we had where you can bump somebody's worker back to their pool. So it's kind of it's kind of a risk reward type of thing where you or yeah, or you know, you have to weigh if that's worth it to if you really need this spot, but then they're gonna get a worker back so that they can do something else. So um, it made it really interesting. And and so, the expanded board is cool too. Yep. So rewind time for a second. Mm-hmm. Where, where did we all end up on the expansions podcast? Was Evan anti expansion or no? Probably. I don't like expansions. <laughs> I own two expansions and one of them is Tuscany. I can't even remember what the other one is. I was just curious, that's all. Yeah. So I, own, I own Tuscany. Ryan got it for me and I've never played it. It is right over my shoulder, right there. Mm-hmm. That's it, right there on my shelf. Uh need to play it. Still haven't tried it out. So it's fun. I yeah. like it. Um, and then finally, I just the other day watched the first episode of Clone Wars season seven. So no yeah. spoilers, no spoilers. It was okay. good. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely set up, you know, Clone Wars. I don't know how this season's going to be, but those of you who have seen Clone Wars know that it's very, um, arc driven where they'll do two to four episode arcs. And so I think 
at least this one seems like it's setting up maybe one of those you know two to three four episode arcs so um i'm pretty excited to see where it goes i know the trailers have been pretty crazy and i don't know i think it's gonna be a wild ride i didn't realize that they were doing weekly episodes like they i should have because that's the way they're doing everything else but yeah only the first episode is out so i'm guessing they're doing friday releases again like they did with the mandalorian are they 20 minute episodes uh yeah 20 yeah. some 22 okay. whatever i might so. wait and like watch a couple at once because yeah the I 20 like... minutes and i'm done with it i'm gonna be like it's like just like a junkie and we need to hook it up to yeah and then and especially if they're doing the arc, arcs like that, it'd be cool. I mean, I feel like it'd be worth it to wait till, you know, if it's like a four-episode arc, we'll just watch them all at once. But anyway, so that is what I've been up to. So with that, I think we're ready to talk about some news. Uh, looks like we've got a fair amount of news to talk about here. So Ryan, why don't you take us through some of that? Yeah, we'll go through it a little bit quickly here because we have a bit of a meaty discussion coming up. Yeah. Um, but there have been some photos leaked. I use leaked loosely. I know that it was staged by some media marketing, but that's okay. For the upcoming The Batman, is that a working title, do we know? Is that the actual title? Is, is anyone I aware? Hope, I hope it's an actual title. I do, too. I think it would be awesome if it's just The Batman. That's it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, and the, the photos, they reveal two things. One, Batman doesn't have a cape. Two, Batman has a motorcycle or a bat cycle or what I mean, I don't know exactly what they're going to call it. And there's a second person. So we don't know who the second person is yet. Um, and from what I was able to discern, um, those the first two, the no cape and the motorcycle were from. Oh, I didn't put the storyline on there. It's from a 1987 comic book storyline for Batman called Batman Year One. Have either of you read that or know anything about that? Just I love Year One. Year One is like one of the best comics out there. Yeah. So it sounds like they're drawing heavily on Year One. Um, From what I can see, director Matt Reeves is known to be a gigantic fan of Batman Year One. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's going to be, it's not a direct adaptation, but they're taking a lot of influences um, from that for the new movie. So I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. And if you really like Batman Year One and you have are now on record saying it's your favorite, I'm very excited for it. One of my favorites, yeah. One of your favorites. Okay. Batman Begins drew quite a bit from Year One as well. Because it's like it the whole thing is about Batman taking on the underworld. Like I don't think any of the main villains that you could think of with Batman were in Year One. Like Joker certainly isn't. Maybe Catwoman was, but she was. But other than that... Um, yeah, it's like it's all him versus the mob and taking down the organized crime in Gotham. It's it's pretty okay. good. It's interesting. Cool. Well, I'm excited to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Batman on a motorcycle seems cool, and it seems different than like the Batmobile kind of thing. So, um, and then also we have on more movie news. Um, we'll stretch it a little bit from last week when we talked about some Star Wars. Uh, there are mar- multiple reports. Um, that J.D. Dillard um, is going to be directing slash writing a new Star Wars movie. Um, And he was the writer slash director of a movie called Slight. I'd never heard of it, so I looked it up on IMDb. And it is, uh, to say say that the reception was lukewarm at best would be an understatement, or would be generous. It's like 5.9 on IMDb. So, you know, I, I don't know. It sounded like it dealt with magic. And like somehow magnets stop bullets, and it sounds like a thing. I didn't really get that into it. Now I'm kind of curious, and I want to watch it since he's going to make a Star Wars movie. Um, and then also joining him on the writing team is Matt Owens, who was 
I, I don't think the lead writer for Luke Cage, um, but he was one of the one of the main writers for the Luke Cage series on Netflix. Um, however, um, it's very early stages. Disney declined to comment um, if it was going to be a theatrical release or Disney Plus. My my gut tells me it'll probably be Disney Plus because I think doesn't aren't they scheduled in like twenty twenty two for like a Taika trilogy or is that there's no like. No, no it's official. All, it's all rumors. Yeah. Oh, but I he... want Taika. <laughs> At uh, this point, anytime I hear Star Wars news and it's not Taika Waititi being confirmed for anything, yeah. I just I well, it's get not. mad. <laughs> I have a feeling. My personal take is this is going to be on Disney Plus. It's going to be streaming on Disney Plus. He mm-hmm. would be uh, J.D. Dillard would be the first black filmmaker to work on a Star Wars project as the the, the lead director. So that would be kind of cool. That'd be something new for Disney to do. Um, more Star Wars nude. Harrison Ford was asked if his character in <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker was a Force ghost. He said, a Force ghost? I have no effing idea what a Force ghost is, and I don't care. <laughs> and that's the most Harrison Ford thing <laughs> imaginable that he could say. Yeah. I think we could have a discussion on that. But Yeah, I, yeah, I really think we, we could Maybe we'll do. let it go. Yeah, we'll let it go for now. Maybe revisit yeah. that at a later time. But um, we also uh, more shows, movies, uh, Stranger Things season four teaser trailer dropped, and we got to see uh, Mister. No, it's fine. It's, it's, yeah, I was gonna say it's no, a teaser trailer. Like, if you haven't watched it yet, and you're a season or a Stranger Things fan, you better go examine your life. It's been out for like a month. <laughs> uh, we got to see David Harbour's beautiful bald head. Yes. In Russia. So he is confirmed to be alive, which was, I think everyone kind of expected, but just kind of exciting to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a lot of board game news coming up. And I think you two have, it was during the week when I was doing some family things, you guys talked a lot about these and I mostly just skimmed past it because I didn't really have time to read it. So I'm just going to bring these up. And as you guys have information, please feel free to to tell me what is going on. So we have a Marvel Unlimited Kickstarter. Marvel United. Marvel United, sorry. I, I have a lot of things to say about this. So, okay. Uh, Marvel United is a Kickstarter that's currently going on. Uh, it's got 10 days left to go uh, when, this, uh, when we're recording here. So uh, it's by, come on, cool mini or not. And it is... It's a co-op game. It's mostly card-driven, uh, playing different cards to use different abilities to take down a big bad and move around the board and um, handle different situations. The gameplay looks really fun. It looks pretty easy to teach and play. And um, I am a sucker for uh, a Marvel <laughs> Kickstarter and come on, like knew exactly how to hit me and I am backing and it's just, it's a, there's, there's a lot, a lot happening, but which is funny because we're going to talk about Kickstarter in our discussion. And this is like the exception for me anymore. Cause I've been pretty choosy with my Kickstarters, but this one I'm finding myself pouring a lot of money into it. Uh, so <laughs> Uh, the the number of minis that you get with the base pledge is just like incredible right now. I think it's like it's like forty some minis with a sixty dollar pledge. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, it, that it's is ridiculous. Uh, definitely check this game out. The it's got a chibi style art. Um, 
which is kind of fun. Like I haven't, I've never seen the Marvel characters in a chibi style before. So the sculpts are really cool. They're really well done and it, and it's come on. So, you know, the production value is going to be high and you're going to get a ton of stuff if you back this. So, and Marvel United. Oh, okay. The rumors are, I don't know if this is true. I just saw somebody say this on a discord somewhere, but I, I heard that the scale is pretty similar to Marvel crisis protocol. So like if you bought, bought this or backed it, and you play Marvel Crisis Protocol and wanted like an alternate sculpt, you could potentially do that. I, I mean, you, I don't think you could do it at like a tournament thing, but it's a pretty casual game, so I don't think people would really care that much. And some of them are pretty cool. Like, I don't know. Some, it would be fun to have alternate uh, characters, I guess. So throwing that out there. Yeah. But yeah, they got me on this one. They got me. That's not. I'm not surprised. No. I mean, it's, it's Marvel. It's a Kickstarter. It's There's lots Eric, of minis. Eric Lang, I just Eric Lang, yeah uh, designed it. Oh so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, as soon as I saw Derek say something about it, I'm like, it's not going to be long before we find out that yeah. he's back the yeah. game. Uh, next up, we've got Marvel Villainous, uh, and all the big baddies in Marvel are going to be getting their own game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Ravensburger is putting this out. Um, if you, if I mean, I'm sure everybody's pretty familiar with Disney Villainous. Um, Evans played that one. I haven't mm-hmm. uh, played it yet, but this will definitely um, make me pull the trigger on this. It's a whole whole new standalone game. Um, and it's going to come with five villains. They've announced three: uh, Thanos, Hela, and Ultron are the three that they've announced so far. And yeah, um, Evan, I know you had some concerns with like the balance issues in Disney Villainous. Is that right? Yeah, I've only played the base. I haven't played any of the expansions, but. There was, I don't know, it just felt like some some uh, villain's win condition was easier than the others. Like, I, I remember one of them was basically, a big part of it was you had to find a certain card in your deck. And they had they had ways to draw a little bit extra, but not enough to really, like, if, if the card is at the bottom of your deck, then tough, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I don't Which, know. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure each character is going to play differently because that's like the hallmark of the villainous. Right. Series. But it sounds like everybody's going to be drawing from a central deck. So that might balance things a little more. I, I don't know. It just seems like not yeah, every, everybody's not going to have their own individual deck. Hmm. So see that, that is kind of weird too, though, because the, the individual decks were really thematic. Like for instance, um, if you were maybe. playing as captain hook and you drew the crocodile you had to discard your hand that's fun that is cool <laughs> that's hilarious like, every time I hear about Disney villainous, i'm like i need to go get this game yeah. oh god that's funny well mm-hmm. and and so maybe maybe i was just reading it like maybe there is a central deck and everybody still has their own individual deck as well yeah not maybe. a lot's known yet Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that they're going to do a pre-order in July and this will be launching in August. So I'll be pre-ordering and probably picking up at Gen Con is my guess. Cause this sounds really cool. Nice. Yeah, that does sound really cool. I'm excited for Derek to get it so I can play it. Um, that's usually my go-to for playing board <laughs> games anymore. <laughs> great. Great, great, great. I, I live vicariously through Derek's board game purchases. Um, we have now some new magic is coming out. Uh, magic Jumpstart. Um, it is essentially magic minus deck building. Um, from what I could uh, glean reading through this is that you can basically buy booster packs and you can combine two booster packs to make one deck. And it mm-hmm. sounds like they're taking a big page out of Keyforge's book, um, seeing that 
you know, a card game can be successful without deck building. Um, Evan, I know you, I thought I saw that you were the one that posted this in the thread. Do you have some thoughts on where yeah, this I, could go? I did. I, I think it's an interesting concept. I think it's definitely, like you said, Keyforge inspired. In fact, the way that I found out about it was somebody in a different <laughs> Discord posted in, so it was like my local gaming group Discord. Mm-hmm. They posted in the Keyforge channel that's like something like Magic Meets Keyforge or something like that. Um, so I, I think it's a good concept for them to get people involved. I, I'm i not sure. I can't remember what the legality of these are because I don't know the magic legalities anyway. There's different levels of you know, standard cards, and commander. None of the cards right can be used in standard. Okay. Um, it's going to have its own um, format, but then hmm. all the cards can be used, I believe, in legacy and commander. Okay. Okay. So um, I, I think that's cool, I guess. I, I don't know. Derek, you had had some questions about how you think the magic community will respond right and i it's tough because magic has always been about the deck building like that is why people play magic you find your combos you build your deck you do the thing right and so i love keyforge for what it is and it's a separate thing and like it's nice sometimes to just like okay this is my deck and i play with it um but i don't know that this is going to go over that well with the magic community and maybe it'll be like a different thing you know what i mean it's like well i have my jumpstart deck too you know where i've got my cats my cat goblin deck (laughs) and you know and those are the two matchups that i got which i think could be fun you know what i mean like i i think that could be really fun but i think you're i don't see anybody like i don't see anybody joining magic who wasn't already playing magic to do jumpstart and i don't see anybody exclusively switching from their magic playing to jumpstart i think it will just be like a secondary path for some so i don't know how successful it would be but i could be wrong Um, it's it's a neat idea but i don't play enough magic to say yes i'm gonna go do this Mm -hmm. yeah and that was yeah that was honestly gonna be my next question is would I mean? I, it obviously seems like it's aimed at creating a lower barrier to get into magic for people that really are intimidated by deck building, mm-hmm. and I I don't know how successful that endeavor is going to be, but I guess we'll, yeah, we'll find out. I'll say this: if Keyforge didn't exist, I'd probably do it. Yep. But I don't know. Yep. I mean, I I've already invested on, in Keyforge. I have yeah. like three or four decks I still haven't played. So if I'm not even playing that, I, I don't need another one. Yeah. I guess. And I could see this, like, if if you wanted to try it and, like, you were getting together for a weekend or something, you could go to the game store, yeah. everybody could buy two boosters, and you have a deck, and everybody play. You know what I mean? Okay, like, that, that, that does happy. sound pretty fun. I'm right? not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'd probably do that. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> and now we know what their strategy was all along. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, and then last but, last but not least for news uh this will kind of lead us into the discussion is asthma day is changing their parts replacement policy um to it, they're moving it away from themselves and on to the retailers that sell their games so we will kind of continue this in just a minute here um evan if you want to bring us into our discussion here we'll go from there yeah so i think that's a pretty good segue um so for our discussion we are going to be talking about the state of the board gaming industry so this is a huge topic. Obviously, we're not going to cover, uh, you know, much or, you know, there's a lot we could talk about. We're just going to dive into a few topics here. Uh, some good, some bad, you know, 
both kind of give our our thoughts on where things are at and where things are going. So uh, let's just go ahead and get started right away with with what Ryan just brought up there. So um, Asmodee, they um, they are a very large uh, company in the in the board gaming industry. They own a lot of other companies. Uh, some of the big ones would be like FFG. Um, they own Atomic Mass Games, which does Crisis Protocol. What are a few of the other ones? I know they, they do distribution for Command. They don't actually own Command, but they work with them. Um, I think they, they've acquired like Days of Wonder. I think mm-hmm. they bought do the they rights to Catan. They do own Z Man, I'm pretty yeah, sure. They yeah, they own Z Man. And there's, there's several others, but those are some of the main ones. Right. So I think we could have a whole discussion. Maybe we'll dive into this a little bit too about if that's even a good thing for for the industry is it good to have this mega well in air quotes mega company owning all these or is it is it bad but um yeah i mean let's just start with the replacement parts then so so they announced this i saw a lot of uh a lot of people upset online and i've i've had and i know derek you have too i've had a good experience with their previous policy where they had an online forum and you fill it out and almost no questions asked, they would send you stuff. Like, um, I don't know, maybe maybe for stuff that wasn't a clear and obvious error on their part, they got a little more choosy. Like for me, it was I got German cards in my English X-Wing pack. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's kind of a no-brainer. Obvious. Yeah, and Derek, yours was something similar, right? Yeah, I had I was buying a dice pack for the Star Wars RPG, and one of the dice in it were was from Imperial Assault. Okay. And so it just it it was still a black dice with pluses and minuses on it. It just had the wrong number of pluses and minuses essentially. Uh, okay. Mm. So, yeah, they they're really good about it. For me, they just yeah, I, I sent in the pictures and they sent me the new cards. I, I didn't even have to send the old ones back in. So now I actually have a cool collection of German cards that I wouldn't have. <laughs> um, so anyway, that has changed now. The The policy now is that you have to, uh, if you bought it from a local store, you have to go through the local store and then the local store, if they choose to, I guess, will contact uh, their distributor or whoever they work with through Asmodee and work on getting the replacement. So it's kind of just an extra step for the consumer. And if you purchase it from a digital store, such as like Amazon or something, I don't really know what the, like, I think you still have to try to go through them. And I don't know if you'd have to go through their channels for that or, or exactly uh, what the process I, for that I, would at be. At that point, Amazon's just going to have you send the whole thing back and just send you a new one. They'll just send yeah. you a new one. It'll be, it'll be like a similar return to like the, like other big box stores like Target, Walmart. Yeah. But so yeah, I just, I just see a lot. I, I don't know. I just see a lot of, hassle for consumers and it just seems like Asmodee is kind of passing the buck where you know if I don't know it's tough if I go down to my local board game store and buy a thing and it's wrong well then if they have to send in to their distributor then I have to wait weeks for my part or piece whatever and I can't play the game Mm -hmm. and that Sucks. So, so I mean, my my question then, like, and I have no idea. Like, I'm just kind of brainstorming. So, like, I guess it depends on what your your local game store's return policy and things like that would be. I mean, if they just go big box route and just take the whole game and give you a new one if they have it, and then they deal with their distributor from there. I, you know, I don't. It, it makes it so. It's not uniform anymore. It just kind of depends yeah. on the policy of where you got it, which is 
it puts a lot of the, the work back on the consumer. And, and on the game store, too. And I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on smaller mm-hmm. game stores. If you got a big game store, then, I mean, if you're talking it's about miniature market or Cool Stuff Inc., like, who cares? They'll send you a new one and they'll work it out. But yeah. if I'm if I'm going down to my local store here that has 20 Magic players per week and then a few board game people that come in, you know, there's two guys working the, the thing and they've got to keep track of everything. Are they, they probably don't have the... The inventory system to take care of that i mean that, that yeah. just puts well, a lot the, of pressure on them yeah and like the res- the to- resources of time i mean time is a resource like yeah that's, for sure that's going to be huge for them yeah and like on the on the other side of the coin like i i get it our industry is growing um you know they're I think I want to say the biggest reason for this switch is that there are so many counterfeit board games out out now. Mm -hmm, So Amazon is notorious for having sellers on there who are selling counterfeit games that look almost correct, but aren't. So I think what Asmodee was running into is people would buy these counterfeit games, not knowing that they were counterfeit. Mm -hmm. They would be missing pieces and then would request the replacements. And Asmodee is replacing these, you know, replacing these parts at no cost for games that are, they didn't make and didn't make any money off of. Um, yeah. So like, so I can understand the reasoning, but it's still, I don't think this is the right solution. No, uh, I, yeah, I would agree. But I think that's almost 95% of the reason why they, they chose to go this route because then now it's, I mean, if you've bought it from someplace and it's counterfeit, like it's their, I mean, that's their way of dealing with counterfeit games because otherwise how, you know, how. I think, I think a good solution is to put a code in every game or a proof of purchase, which Fantasy Flight still does. Yeah, you put a they? proof of purchase in the game that has a code on it. If you have any issues, you can enter that code into Asmodee's site and they know it's a legit copy of the game mm-hmm. and then they can get your, your replacement parts, but. I don't know. I think they're going to see a lot of pushback um, on this policy, but I don't think it's going to matter. No, um, they're I don't big think enough that I don't yeah. think anything's going to change, which is too bad. Yeah, and, and that's that's what it is. So when I was kind of messing around before we started recording, and I just for fun, because Asmodee is the number two board game publisher, Hasbro is number one. I was just kind of curious. So I was poking around, and they have roughly the exact same policy. I believe that. Um, and then if you want different parts, <laughs> you know, I didn't dig too much, but you have to essentially buy lost parts or things like that. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, they, they don't get replaced if you don't get mm. it, that you just have to buy it basically. Mm. So it's even worse if that's imaginable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wonder for me, it, it is especially rough because I've had some close calls with, uh, with Crisis Protocol putting stuff together, like <laughs> if I cut that thing wrong and Spider-Man's head goes into the carpet, I'm not finding that. It's <laughs> it's so small, you know. So before I probably right or wrong, I could have sent it in and probably gotten a replacement. Now I don't know. Would that be me abusing the policy, previous policy, maybe? But uh, now, I mean, that's just nowadays. That's not. It's not going to happen anymore. It's buy a new one, forty bucks, thirty thirty bucks, whatever for a little yeah. tiny piece of plastic. So I don't know. I mean, I get it too. I understand that they, they're getting big and can't handle all that. And, you know, it, it took resources for them too, I'm sure to, to manage that site and everything like that. So, yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, with just looking at the number of uh, companies that they've acquired, even in the, just the last like five years, it's, I can't imagine what it would be like trying to coordinate all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I'm Which, sure that was just insane. 
which kind of goes into the next topic is yeah is asmodee owning that many companies a good thing you know is is asmodee being so big a good thing for our industry or a bad thing um you know you can you can look at you know yes it allows companies to have better distribution and better better you know quality control across the board but also I think it leads into higher prices for us, the consumer. Mm-hmm. It leads mm-hmm. into, you know, policies like this replacement part policy that uh, can be bad for us. So it's like, yeah, we can get our games really fast, but they're going to cost more and you're not going to get replacement parts. You know, it's, it's a yeah. tough, it's a tough line to tow. I mean, I, I, I like the, I like the idea of like an asthma day type company um, specializing in like the, the warehousing and distribution of games, but I mean, as far as owning each individual publisher and really controlling everything that they do and setting prices, like I'm not saying it makes it a cartel because there's so many, there's so many, there's so many publishing companies yeah. out there. But I mean, they yeah, they can it, set pricing to be what they want it to be. It does. And they've learned that have, they can make a lot of money that way. Asmodee has a map policy, um, a minimum advertised price pricing yeah, policy. Mm-hmm. And so, like the the miniature markets and the cool stuff inks are able to sell games at a huge discount, but not a lot of the Asmodee games. Or they'll have a map sale every year where they can get rid of the miniature or the minimum advertised price. Um, but yeah, it's the more companies they pull under their umbrella, now those companies have higher prices, mm-hmm. and that's tough. And I would say the thing that it's kind of frustrating for me too is that I, I would agree ryan that if if they had the distribution and stuff like that makes it nice and i know come on is using their distribution so if you know if they offered that to some companies that'd be great if they were good at it they're not they're not good at it my i've talked to local store owners here that have such a hard time with whoever that you know with getting asmodee products and that's so many things nowadays it's ffg mm-hmm. stuff it's you know there, there's just so much stuff and uh, I know I'm part of a crisis protocol Facebook group and like outside of the U S which is weird. Cause Asmodee isn't even U S based. Are they? No, it's know. like a French based company. Yeah, they, I guess. But anyway, outside of the U S like there, it's just, it's, it's the wild West. They don't know when they're getting stuff. They got some stuff before we did. They're still waiting to get some stuff we've had for a month. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand why they have such problems with it. And so it's kind of like, if that's what they're going for is uniting everybody and having their distribution network set up, they need to tighten it up a little bit. Well, I don't think that's necessarily what they're even going for here. Yeah, you're probably right. They they started buying up companies a while back. It's likely to add value and they're going to turn around and sell it. Yeah, I think you're probably Uh, right. Yeah, because I mean, it was, yeah, because the company was started in like the mid nineties by some French board game guy. I, I couldn't tell you his name. Yep. And then um, they just started acquiring. And... and then they were like, it, it was purchased from him about 10 or 12 years later. And then since then, they've started acquiring publisher after publisher. Yeah. Our, our hope is that it just gets sold to someone who cares about the industry, but likely it will just be for profit, you know? Yeah. And that, I mean, yeah. and I get it. Like, that's business. But at the same time, like, we, the consumers, are the ones that suffer for that. So yeah. is the, the golden age of board games dead? No, I don't know about that. So. We'll maybe talk about uh, that a little bit later too. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say for me, I kind of liken it to it, it just brings some parallels to me to video game publishers. And you know, you've had like Activision buy up a bunch, or EA has bought up a bunch. And I think we've seen some of the same problems there too, where some of the quality goes down, or 
things like that. And I would say for me, it's a little worrying because with video games, they, you know, we get the AAA games and some are hit, hit or miss or whatever. And, you know, those are put out by the big publishers. But if you want to, there's so many good indie games out there that you can you can play. And I feel like the indie indie board game scene is going to have such a problem taking off because, uh, you know, indie, indie music, indie video games is all digital distribution. It's easy. Mm-hmm. But you can't do any of that with a board game. So, yeah, I, the physical distribution is a tough obstacle. The indie board game scene is actually booming. Right is now. it really? Um, yeah, it is. It is crazy and it's awesome um the problem is sorting through what's good and what's not and figuring out figuring out how to navigate that yeah and so i mean and that's something we we wanted to bring up too is the you Mm -hmm. know the number of games being put out in a year but it's um there are so many games that it's hard to sort through what's good and what's crap but um i mean Every year at Gen Con, you see new new companies popping up, new mm-hmm. new booths that have really solid games. Um, it's just as a consumer, again, uh, if you see a game from Asmo Day that has all this you know publicity behind it and backing, it's definitely going to get better, re- generally better reviews than some indie game who has only sold a thousand copies, whereas mm-hmm. they sold ten thousand of this mm-hmm. this popular game. You know, so so games get buried. And, um, but I, I think more and more, uh, I mean, we talked about, um, there were thousands of games put out last year in our industry and there's just not time to play them all or even a fraction of them. And some companies are now starting to switch to AEG is a big one that has said, we're not going to put out that many games, um, this, this coming year, their, their plan is to drastically cut back on the number of games they're releasing because they want to put out mm-hmm. good really well done games rather than lots of okay to good games, you know? Mm-hmm. So, which, which I appreciate, um, cause mm-hmm. I don't have the time to play all the games. Oh, and so, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think that could be a good step forward for the industry as you see less games being published by the big publishers and maybe you'll see more of those indie games, you know, poke through now. Mm-hmm. So, so I have a question then it kind of, put us into this next little phase of discussion does kickstarter help or hurt like indie board gamers get publicity i mean what is that is that i mean is that even a a realistic avenue for i think it's about their only avenue isn't it yeah yeah that's Uh, kind of what my impression is but i don't know if i'm just kind of off base here it's tough um so kickstarter has definitely morphed from what it was originally for board games so originally it was hey i have this idea for a game i want to make it help me fund this right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you still see that every once in a while i mean gloomhaven was the most recent one that was i mean cephalofair games is now a thing because isaac childress designed gloomhaven it blew up on kickstarter and it was great right Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. like that's the kickstarter dream story but then you have companies like uh come on who are a huge board game company but now they use kickstarter to just like tout their their new game put out a like a ton of stuff a ton of minis and charge money for it you know where they're gonna play they're gonna put this game out no matter what whether it funds on kickstarter or not um, but it's a good way for them to make a bunch of money on deluxified components and that type of stuff. And so Kickstarter has really morphed into that for pretty much 
all of the big companies. I mean, there are some that don't do it, but a lot of the companies now, if they have a new big game, they put it out on Kickstarter. And uh, Kickstarter prices suck now. They, they used to be a lot, of, a lot of value for your money, but anymore, um, the prices are high on Kickstarter to start, and then mm-hmm. everybody's got a deluxe version of a thing. Right. Yeah. So you got yeah. the metal coins and the miniatures and everything. And I, I mean, anymore, you're lucky to find a deluxe version of something for under a hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. um, and back when I first started backing things, it was like, Ooh, if I pay $60, I'm going to get this deluxe version. And you know, it was a great value. And so I've, I've become very choosy with what I'm, I'm kickstarting. It's a lot of smaller projects, um, I say that right now. I'm backing Marvel United, but uh, <laughs> that, like I, said, I mean, you, whether or not that was on Kickstarter, Derek was going to buy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's and that's I mean, the outlier. Um, and actually, that's a good example because that game at retail for sixty dollars only has like eight minis in it, and so I don't know if I would buy it at retail. But the Kickstarter, I'm getting forty miniatures and forty characters to play, so I'm pretty happy with that. But um, Kickstarter has changed, and I think a lot of people when they join or they get into the hobby, uh, they decide that they're going to buy everything. Like, I mean, I did, you know, you, you buy everything, you get into the Kickstarter, you back all the Kickstarters, you go all in for all the Kickstarters. And then you realize I have more stuff than I know what to do with here. And that's a, it's, it's getting expensive. And then you kind of back off and you, you become more choosy with your Kickstarter. So I, I think it is still good for the industry. It's good for the hype. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, I think Kickstarter is still a good tool, um, but for me personally, I've backed off Kickstarter a little bit. Um, and I know Evan, you've never backed anything. Nope. And Ryan, Ryan, you've done a couple. I've um, backed um, Gloomhaven. Oh, that was it. I thought oh, you did and, some oh Ryan sorry. Lockett I games. guess I've done a couple like Red Raven games, a okay. couple of yeah, the yeah. Yeah, Ryan Lockett games. So no, it. I still think it's a good tool, but it's definitely kind of mutated from what it originally was intended for mm-hmm. yeah and i don't uh, i honestly don't even look at kickstarter anymore because i don't really like what it is now yeah. I, I you know i don't i don't want to go to look and see i mean i like cmon games but like i'm not gonna go to see what they're putting on kickstarter like i miss being able to see what what different people had for ideas for games that they wanted to bring to fruition instead of i already have this polished game you know buy it yeah yeah, it's funny because I, 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 yeah, I'm the opposite. I I almost never look at it anymore. Yeah, I don't really either, and I don't know. I mean, you've kind of made me think about it a little bit, I guess, Derek. Where I think it it maybe maybe it would be worth it if you can somehow sort through all the stuff to to still find these indie type games and stuff like that. Because I don't know. I mean, you know, I you'll probably there's that's tough to to sort through and it's tough in other stuff too like it's tough in video games to know what a good indie game is and stuff like that but um you know there's probably some good stuff out there worth looking at and i mean i still i the last like couple kickstarters that i've backed are are from pretty much indie titles i mean they're small companies who are still using kickstarter for them for the reasons made a fantastic factories i just talked about that was two designers they started their own company and they backed it, and now they've sold the game to a bigger publisher. I don't remember who's publishing it now, but that's how it got off the ground was Kickstarter. So there, mm-hmm. there yep. are still great games being put on there for their intended use. But mm-hmm. if you see things by 
come on and pandasaurus and and god now i'm like slipping on all the companies uh leader games city leader games aeg you know any any kickstarters through them yeah obviously like these are big companies that are just trying to you know put out deluxe versions of things on kickstarter so maybe we just need to petition Kickstarter to give us a major publisher filter and we can just turn <laughs> off major publishers and then we can just see everything else. Well, so here's a question and we, we probably won't have the answer to it, but do you think that, I mean, come on and some of the asthma day owned ones are probably fine, but like say, let's, let's say leader games, they just did their, their campaign for oath. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're in a stage where they need to do that or not? Because I, they, they're a small company out of Minnesota. They have like 20 employees or something like that. So I think, you know, we have to remember that the board gaming industry is actually still pretty small. It's still somewhat of a niche market. So maybe it is necessary for some of those type of companies where, I mean, they They made a lot of money with Root probably. They have to get those funds to be able to Mm -hmm. go to production, to be able to produce all the parts and and pay for the shipping and play testing. And, you know, it's like Ryan was saying, time is expensive too. And you got to, there's thousands and thousands of man hours that go into putting together a board game. So Mm -hmm. maybe. And I mean, they're paying someone to basically be their marketing division. I mean, that's essentially what Kickstarter is to them. Mm hmm. I mean, they're they're essentially outsourcing it. It's like they're marketing slash Amazon. I mean, mm-hmm. it is is what it is. So, I guess I don't know. It's hard to say for sure what companies need it and what are just exploiting it. Um, I guess that's kind of a decision you have to make on on your own to decide <laughs> if it's worth it to to do that or not. But for for me, I think most of the time my my whole thing with Kickstarter is I don't I don't dislike it. I've seriously considered backing projects before, but I just never have because all the ones I've looked at personally, I've I've thought, well, these are going to be in retail. Like none of them are really going to be hard to find eventually. Just the ones that I'm interested in. So if I'm interested in a year when it's out, I'll just buy it at retail. It'll be about the same price. And yeah, I won't get some of the cool stuff, but you know, that's just my personal philosophy. But I've kind of tried to reel in my acquisition disorder. <laughs> so that's been a lot easier for me to yeah. say no to some yeah. Kickstarter things. Old, old Derek would be all in for every single expansion <laughs> on Marvel United. And instead I'm currently backing for like one expansion. So that's cool. That's that, you've that's really good. grown. You've yeah. grown. Yeah. 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 A lot of personal growth. Yeah. Kickstarter <laughs> thrives on people with acquisition disorders and early adopters. They love those oh, yeah. people. The mm. cult of the new. The cult oh, yeah. of the new. All right. Well, we we had in our notes here. We kind of jumped over it. That's probably my fault. But we were going to talk about Fantasy Flight Games a little bit. Um, as I think we've mentioned it before, um, we've talked about how they've had layoffs and cuts to their their digital games and RPG division and stuff is all gone. I don't know if we ever brought this up. Their um, uh, what was his title? Their director, I think, Andrew Navarro. He yeah, actually left, like a director of some yeah. sort. He actually left the company at the end of 2019. I'm not sure if we ever brought that up. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, know. and it's kind of crazy because we saw him, you know, Derek at, at in the in-flight thing in August. And uh, yeah, I, I think this came as kind of an unexpected move from, there was a post on on uh, BGG about it. There's a post on Reddit about it. And a few like, in, you know, supposedly inside people came out and said that it was somewhat unexpected. So I think he moved on to another company actually. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I guess it seems like there's some, some weird stuff going on at FFG and, and I think an extension, a few of the other companies 
I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily under the Asmodee umbrella or not where you see this kind of stuff going on. So I don't know if that's a sign of, of bad things or if we are just looking too much into it here. I don't know. You guys have thoughts on that? I mean, I do a little. I mean, to me, it makes... I mean, I didn't realize that Asmodee, one, owned as many of... owned, directed, whatever, um, as many of these publishers as they did. So, I mean, seeing the news about FFG now and then now seeing the Asmodee news, like... I think Asmodee is just doing a lot of restructuring. I mean, yeah. as far as what they're trying to accomplish as a company, because I think they're obviously way too big to function efficiently. Um, and they realize that. And I think that's just kind of fallen down the hill now as mm-hmm. it goes down to the different publishers and they're saying, okay, so now, and I, I think obviously Navarro didn't, I'm going to speak for him. I don't think he liked what he saw or what they were going to be changing. And that wasn't, didn't line up with what his personal vision for FFG was. Mm-hmm. so he moved on to a different publisher um, and then uh, after that happened then we saw the news of the restructuring and we see the news of Asmodee you know it, it's, it's pretty obvious to see those conversations behind the scene now it mm-hmm. will be interesting to see at the end of the summer I mean right around Gen Con time mm-hmm. what the product line looks like for Fantasy Flight and what the new products upcoming look like because I really think they're trimming the fat Mm-hmm. And I don't like to say trimming the fat because there's some really good games that they're cutting and really good people that were losing their jobs. Yeah. Um, and so it will be really interesting to see what that company looks like come end of the summer when all the new projects are coming out and being announced. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Could be good for the company on for the future or it could be, you know, we could be looking at maybe a stalling out of one of the biggest names in the industry. We don't really know. That would be make a really interesting domino effect too, because they have all those IPs. All and those you, IPs, and yeah. It'd be a scramble to see who could pick them up, yeah, and diversify them. Which honestly could be a good thing for the industry, because there's a lot of people out there with a lot of really exciting ideas for those IPs that can't touch them. That can't do mm-hmm. anything with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll definitely keep you up to date if as any news of that comes. You know, if anything does come up again, maybe maybe we're digging too much into it here, and things will be business as usual. But you know, there's We've some got our tinfoil hats on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what this episode's all about. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've covered most of our talking points here. So, um, yeah, I, you know, obviously there's there's a lot that could be said and and uh, a lot more we could touch on. So if you have any thoughts on on this uh, pretty broad topic here, let us know. We'd love to to do a follow up or you know talk about this in the future too. So if you have any any questions, any thoughts, let us know, and we'll definitely get to those. Um, I think that's about it for this episode. So we'll uh, go ahead and wrap up here. Oh, I'm just going to do a quick shout out too. Yeah. Uh, I'm heading to GammaCon Copper. In Cedar Rapids this weekend, next nice. weekend, the, the 28th, I believe. Uh, so if you're in the area, check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to play a bunch of games. Cool. Yeah, you'll have to. Uh, I'm excited to hear about your your update here for next pod. We'll hear all the games you played. So that should be a good time. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up here. So we thank you all for listening. Um, we are always looking for the topic recommendations. So let us know if you have any, um, we are available through the discord, through Twitter, Instagram, email, all that will be in the description. Let us know. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a good couple of weeks and we will catch you next time.